This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Tim Gossage on SEN. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Basketball is huge in Western Australia. We all love a piece of the NBL through the Perth Wildcats. And there's a young man who has made basketball his life. He's never played for the Perth Wildcats, but he's well-travelled. Sydney, Melbourne, Gold Coast, Cairns, overseas. And he's a boy from Bunbury, Australian to be precise. His name is Mark Worthington and he's been kind enough to join us. And we'll chat with him over the next hour for inspiring sports stories. Thanks to Baron today because the little things are everything. Appreciate you coming in. Thanks for having me. I'm going to get to the Wildcats question because it's the most commonly asked question about Mark Worthington. And I I assume you have a maybe a, car, a cookie cutter answer for it and I'll be interested to know about it. But I want to take you on your NBL journey uh, first and foremost well-travelled, how did you end up in Cairns to start with as a DP player, development player? Um, so I got knocked back from the AIS. I think that's where the first initial step happened. You get the letter saying, thanks, but no thanks. You're not good enough. And I guess at that stage, basketball, you're unsure of the pathway to actually get to the NBL. It's not like the defined pathways that we have now, going through the junior ranks, some people go to college. Some people pick up a DP spot straight away. And uh, the Cairns Taipans, they uh, they called me and uh, said, do you want to come in and just train with us for a couple of months? Now, the Wildcats hadn't really shown any interest. And I looked at it as an opportunity to go play against, uh, train against Anthony Stewart, uh, Aaron Traher, Ben Knight, guys that were sort of in the primes of their career at that stage. And I just looked at it as an opportunity, knowing I was about to go to college as well, um, that this would be a good six-month lead-up into going to uh, what would be a four-year college career. Now, basketball was a big part of your life. Of course, your dad, Greg, was a basketball coach down in Bunbury and through the Southwest, through the Southwest Slammers as well. And your brother, Trent, played for the Slammers as well. Was it always just hoops or was there a bit more to it? Um, I'd also say my mum was the coach of the women's team for the Bunbury. My sister also played for the women's team. Uh, my mum and dad were both board members. I was a board member as well. Uh, and I ended up coaching the Slammers as well. So I, I think I was always around basketball. Dad was more of a footballer. He played for Bunbury Footy Club growing up. Um, and, you know, coming from Drilton uh, back in the day and, and making, making a career down in the Southwest Football League, I was always around football or basketball. And uh, I guess the common question was like, why didn't you do football at that stage? And football to me, I love football. I still love football. It's obviously still a huge part of my life right now. Um, But for me, I always had one goal and that was basketball could take me to the Olympics where football never could. And as a kid, that's all I dreamt about was one day going to the Olympics being that person to put on the green and gold, I had no bigger sense of pride in all my sporting career than than putting on the Australian green and gold. That was always the ultimate for me. And I never thought the football pass would lead me to a way to represent my country. So tell us a bit about that that passion for, for the Olympic Games through basketball. I mean, was it passion for the game and the Olympics or was it just the whole Olympic game movement and what the Olympics stood for? Tell us about a kid growing yeah. up and what, what captured your mind first. Obviously, basketball was the main part for me, but I just remember as a kid, like, it was huge just to sit up and watch the Olympics and it didn't matter what sport it was. And funny enough, you know, years down the track when I'm actually there, I still felt like a kid. Like, I'd go and watch other sports. Like, I was like, 
Jesus, I'm I'm watching Usain Bolt doing a hundred meter final, like all the cool stuff that you used to see as a kid. And I don't know whether it was the the grace of an opening ceremony and the lighting of the cauldron and all that, like I always had this overwhelming sense of pride of Australia and any time that any Australian did well in any sport, I was just like, how cool would it be to be able to sit on that sort of stage, play at that sort of level and be able to represent your country? Uh, to me, that was just awesome. You did twice, of course, Beijing and London. We'll talk more on those in a moment. Who was your basketball idol growing up when you're the little boy? Well, never little, but when you were a boy down uh, in the southwest, who was who, who did you grow up going? Oh, gee, I wouldn't mind being like them. Uh, it was Andrew Vlahov. It was a hundred percent Hoff, and Hoff knows this as well. And funnily enough, when the first time I went to the Olympics, they had a jersey, a singlet presentation. They asked me who I wanted to present my jersey or singlet for the first time, and it was Hoff. And uh, he was the guy that, you know, whether it was the mouth guard with the the fangs hanging out or uh, the way that he just never stood down or backed down to anyone. Uh, For me, like I even tried to shoot like him at one stage and I think the only thing I fell short of is probably having muscles like him because it was a a big human being. But um, as a captain for the Wildcats, I loved watching him, the way that he held himself, the way that he went about his business and... Um, you sort of look at those old school players and, you know, leadership is a funny thing. It was more about their actions on, on the field or on the court. And his actions was, he didn't take any crap from anyone. He never backed down and, uh, he always inspired his team and, and sometimes willed the Wildcats to a couple of victories mm-hmm. that they didn't, had no right winning. He was the protector, wasn't he? He was he, Absolutely. he was the protector of all. I mean, I think any basketballer in the modern game would love an Andrew Vlahov and, and also a, a Mark Worthington because that's the way you played it. You played the game tough as well and you, you set about, you know, being the man who flew the flag for the smaller guy or the guy that you needed to free up to hit the bomb. So um, you, you took that trait into basketball. And I'm very lucky. I sit alongside Andrew for all the home games for the NBL coverage on the network. And, and I've learnt so much from him. We've known each other for a long time. But his knowledge of the game to this day is unsurpassed. Yeah, I, I quite enjoy sitting across from you guys at the basketball court having a beer these days. Uh, <laughs> it's noted. It's, <laughs> it's noted. I, I actually enjoy that a lot more. But uh, no, he... <laughs> He, he was just someone that I always looked at. And and you even think about when he was with the Boomers team, like he was the protector of that team too when you've got people like Andrew Gaze and Shane Hill that are going to be mouthy and people want to go belt them, and rightfully <laughs> so sometimes. Um, they needed someone to have their back as well and Hoff was definitely the guy in the, in the national team that looked after them as well. When did you start barracking for a basketball team? And, and albeit you didn't play for the Perth Wildcats, did you did you grow up barracking for the, when you were younger? Oh, absolutely. I was a huge Wildcats supporter growing up. Okay, Vlahov uh, aside, what other players? Uh, Todd Lickie was actually yeah. my, one of my favourites. Uh, I, I, I loved watching him play and he was just so versatile. Number 20? Did he wear 20? He was number 20. He was so versatile and... He, the things that I sort of remember is he'd just get stuck and then all of a sudden he'd shoot with his left hand off off the backboard. And he used to do stuff like that and I always used to watch him. But, I mean, you could go through, like, luckily enough, I'm good mates with Mike Ellis and uh, Watto. That's sort of when it first started for me. Pete Hansen, were you a Pete Hansen fan? No, I, Pete I, Hansen, he was tough. He, he was tough. He was Vlahov 2.0, he, but he yeah, was a nice guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but... 
There was, I don't know, you know, where it was Crawford, you know, Fisher. All the, like, they had such a good, good team growing up. Nice. And uh, Ricky, obviously, who controversially, I'll still say, is still the best Wildcat to this day. Um, anyone who um, can make others around him better, uh, like Paul Rogers doesn't get his MVP without Ricky Grace, in my opinion. And it's not a slight on Rogie. But that's how good Ricky Grace was. And everyone knew he was going left, but you still couldn't stop it. Yeah. And um, I love watching Bryce Cotton play. And I think sometimes we get stuck in a bit of recent bias. Uh, bias. And there's no doubt about it that Bryce is right up there with Ricky. But for me, Ricky will always be number one. We're speaking with Mark Worthington. Thanks to Baron a day because the little things are everything. Inspiring sports stories. The boy who grew up in Australia, born in Bunbury, went to Australian primary school and played for the Bunbury Slammers. And the whole family has been involved in basketball. And your uncle played VFL football for Collingwood. Yeah. And East Perth and Claremont. He was a coach of East Perth, I think. And yeah, coached was. And played at Claremont in a great era as well, Kevin Worthington. So there's a bit of toughness there because he was tough. Yeah. No, he, he still is. He's he is tough. <laughs> he is, he's still tough. A funny story about Kev is, like, obviously I only knew him as my uncle growing up and obviously I knew that he played for Collingwood. But even when I moved to Melbourne, like, understanding that he still had such a good name within the community. And I remember once going into an airport and I forget, I think I was playing for Gold Coast at this stage, but I was at the airport at Gold Coast and I walked into the lounge and Eddie Maguire was there. And I walked in and he said, Mark, how are you doing? And I, I was like... Eddie knows my name. <laughs> this is awesome. We had a bit of a chat and he goes, anyway, say day to your Uncle Kev for me and walked off. And I was just like, well, that's pretty cool. Like at that stage you knew that Kev was, you know, did his part for the Collingwood Football Club. And even though Kev still has all his teeth and he is still blind in one eye, so maybe that is part of the reason. Player, but he was tough as nails back in the day. He was, certainly was. We'll take a break and come back. We'll talk about that. NBL career, uh, Rookie of the Year in 2006, four-time All-NBL first team, of course. Uh, and also, we won't, can't forget the fact is you were also a Player of the Year in 2005 in the NABC Division 2 and an SBL champion in 1999. You've achieved plenty, and we're going to take you on that NBL career journey next. Mark Worthington, our guest. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Baron o. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Tim Gossage on SEN. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Mark Worthington, our guest. We're talking about his outstanding basketball career that's taken him all around the world. Two Olympics, five NBL clubs played in Europe and also in the college system in the States and still playing, still playing in the NBL One West competition. Tell us a bit about this NBL journey. I'm, gonna, I'm intrigued by this. Sydney... The Dragons, South Dragons in Melbourne. I forgot about the Dragons. Mm. I shouldn't. You played. You won a championship there. Melbourne, the Tigers, Gold Coast, and then Cairns. You know, and and a good chunk of time. One hundred and seven games with Sydney, thirty five with Dragons, and, and that championship. Eighty odd games with Melbourne, fifty games with Gold Coast, and fifty with Cairns. You got around. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it was uh, not by design. So, obviously, the Sydney Kings. Came in after their, their three-peat, uh, brought in from college. So, obviously, I was the problem because we didn't win the next year. <laughs> um, and, you know, all is going well except we have this sponsor called Firepower uh, with Tim Johnson. 
uh, the con man and uh, Western Force. Western Force, uh, South Sydney Rabbitohs, Sydney Kings. Um, so firepower was the fuel the, stuff that you put in your petrol and made your petrol last long. I'll tell you this story. I was at a barbecue, right? And Jason Smith, who was the captain of the Sydney Kings, captain of the Australian uh, team at that stage, um, he goes up to one of Tim Johnson's henchmen, as you would, and says, oh, mate, I've put this the, the pill and the, the fuel in the car and... I got an extra 30 kilometres and the henchman looked around like, really? <laughs> and he calls over Tim Johnson. He's like, Tim, you've got to listen to this. And Jason tells the story again. And J- Tim Johnson's like, really? And at that stage, it should have clued on that this guy was absolutely full of it. Um, but anyway, the story goes, uh, we don't get paid for majority of the last season. Um, so when you're playing basketball mm-hmm. and you're getting on a plane and you're battling your bollocks off for the Sydney Kings and you're not getting paid. What? Where's that energy? Where? Where's that energy come from? And were you genuinely looking at each other and going, this is, we're in a trouble here? This is where the greatness of Brian Gorgian comes in. Uh, he is the master motivator. He is so good with his players. And um, for me at that stage, early in my career, you don't know your head from your ass, really. And so you don't really know. You just want to play because you love playing basketball and, you know, you, you try to get through. It's the guys that have families, mortgages to pay. That was the one that was really affecting. So you're looking at your Jason Smiths, your Russell Hinders, uh, your BJ Carters and whatnot. They were struggling mightily on a day-to-day basis. Um, but Gorge was really good at rallying the troops and, you know, we went – something like 27 and three in the regular season. Mm. We lose a grand final. Uh, Jason Smith had broken his hand in the prelim. Our our import, Dante uh, Draper, had pulled his hamstring in game three of the grand finals. And we still take it to five and lose by a couple of points in game five. And that was probably one of the better basketball teams that we should have won a championship, but it didn't end up happening. So... I'd made up my mind. I was out of Sydney. I didn't know where I was going at this stage. Because you hadn't been paid. Hadn't been paid. And I still had one year left on my contract. But I'm like, obviously, they've clearly breached the contract. I'm out. Uh, Funnily enough, they tried to sue me (laughs) for leaving, yet I wasn't getting paid. Um, Signed with the South Dragons. Uh, Gorge had signed there as a coach. Um, The South Dragons were the the laughingstock of the NBL the year before. They were at one stage, the 4 and 20 South Dragon Pies. Um, And... Uh, he'd bought in myself. He bought in Mika Vicona. Uh, they already had a young Joe Ingalls at this stage and we were building these pieces and I thought we would be good, but I had no idea how good we ended up being, obviously winning a championship. The interesting story probably in all my NBL career comes off the back of the South Dragons folding because at then, um, and it was funny because I was watching TV the other night and they were talking, they were telling, retelling the story about the NRL and the Super League and how that all came with the uh, the Packer and... Um, it affected uh, rugby yeah, league here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a similar thing was happening in basketball at this stage. Uh, the NBL was, was running, but a lot of owners were unhappy, and there was a chance that there was going to be a breakaway league from the NBL, a, a, so, a so-called super league as well, in the NBL form. Mm. Um, the South Dragons were on board with the Super League, as were the Melbourne Tigers. 
And so there was a, a a vote that went around to all the clubs and pretty much seven of the eight clubs had said, yeah, we're, we're happy to leave this to go try and something new. Now, little did the South Dragons and the Melbourne Tigers know that this was a bluff by six of the other clubs. And so when it was came deadline time, Dragons have said, yep, we're happy to change. <laughs> Melbourne Tigers, and you might remember, the Melbourne Tigers were out of the league for a, a couple of months where they thought they were out. Um, and every other team opted back into the NBL. So uh, Ruffy Jaminda, Mark Cowan, the owners of the Dragons said, well, if this is the way things are going to be run, we don't want anything to do with it. We're out. And basically that was the end of the South Dragons. So you win a championship. We're actually training for the next season. We had started signing players to come to us. And then uh, I'll never forget the phone call. I was traveling back home over the Westgate Bridge in Melbourne. I got a phone call saying, can you call the rest of the team and meet me in the office? This was from the owner. And I thought that was a bit weird, but didn't think anything of it. We go back, rally the troops about two hours later. We're all in the owner's office. And he said, we're pulling the pin on this. We're, we're done. You're free to go find a job somewhere else. So, yeah, I think the first two clubs and then it ended up being with the Gold Coast Blaze as well where they folded. Um, and just to clear a few things up here because I got a lot of shit from WA fans uh, around Sydney folding and then the South Dragons folding. Everyone said the Sydney folded because of how much money I was making. <laughs> I came out of Sydney $10,000 in debt after three seasons uh, that was not through being meticulous with your money. That was because I wasn't getting paid and I was on a minimum contract of 40000 a year. Obviously, the South Dragons thing happened, which was no one's fault, and then the Gold Coast thing happened as well. And so... So you feel like the messaging out of Western Australia and, and, and Wildcats Connection fans, I don't even know who, mm-hmm. you would be aware of some people that you probably hold grudges with to this day because of the stories or what they wanted to say about Mark Worthington and didn't know the facts. I'm not too sure whether you do or not. But in general, Sim, you felt that you were unfairly targeted by the WA basketball community because of what had happened in these, this, the previous journey with those three clubs. Uh, to a degree, yeah. I mean, obviously there's also, I knew that they would want me to be a Wildcats player. Everyone uh, wanted you to be a Wildcat. I knew that. I knew that as Why well. Why not? Do we want to get to that story? In a moment. Okay. <laughs> tell us a bit about um, uh, tell us a bit about Cairns. You went back to Cairns. That's where you finished in your NBL career. Yeah. But that's where they were the ones who also started, started you. So yeah. you must be pleased with that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know what? I would have been a Cairns Taipans player to even start my NBL career. Um, but Alan Black said I wasn't good enough to be in the team, yet I was going to be a starter for a team that just won three championships in a row. So I would have gone back to Cairns as a loyalty thing to start off my career, but it was fitting to finish my career in Cairns. Um, Aaron Fern had tried a couple of times to get me up uh, to far north Queensland. Um, yeah, and it, it, it worked out well. I thought they were a team that was sort of on the cusp. They always they always battle out of their weight division. Yep. They're the one thing about the Taipans that, that you got to sort of love about them. I, I feel like they're almost like everyone's second team almost because um, of what they've always done, whether it was Aaron Fern. I think you're being rivaled by Tassie now. I think Tassie's a rival. There's a bit of love for Tassie. I know. But but Tassie still has those star players that are going there where 
Cairns make the star players. Yeah, they have to scrimp and scrimp and scrape their way yeah, to get their, their team I, together. I love what Adam Ford's doing in yeah. Cairns. And this was a, a messaging that I always told Aaron Firm back in the day. I was like, if you're going to get an import, like for like, your import is always going to be worse than the import that a Melbourne gets, a Sydney gets, or a Perth gets. And so you've got to do something different to what everyone else does. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if you try and do the same thing and replicate, you're going to have a bad result. I think what Adam Ford's done has been awesome. He's empowering young guys, giving them a lot of responsibility, obviously finding talented young guys as well, mm-hmm. whether it's Bull Quoll, uh, Sam Wardenberg, Sam Meninga now. Um, Taron Armstrong's going to be an absolute gun in this league. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's done a great job. I, I love the Taipans. We're going to take a break and come back. Uh, Mark Worthington, our guest, and I, we are going to focus in on why not the Perth Wildcats because it's something that, well, it's fair to say, yeah, Worthington, it's grinded my gears for long enough, and I now <laughs> need to hear it straight from your mouth as to why yeah, you never pulled enough. on the red singlet. Inspiring sports stories thanks to Baron O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Tim Gossage on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Mark Worthington, our guest, retired NBL superstar, five club player, Commonwealth Games gold medalist in 2006 and a dual Olympian in Beijing and London. We've spoken about your NBL journey, which doesn't include the Perth Wildcats. Very, very simple, straightforward question, were they? Why? Why have you never played for Perth? Um... Well, I'll I'll do it because there was a couple of different times that it could have happened, but it didn't. The first one was out of college. Um, I was uh, I wanted to go to Cairns, uh, but I was also speaking with Perth and I was speaking with Sydney. Um, the first time around, uh, I've already talked about what Cairns wasn't willing to offer me. Uh, Perth saw me as a 10th sort of guy and Sydney with the national team head coach saw me as a a starter in that mix. And so I thought that was probably my best opportunity to keep learning. And at that stage, um, I was quite happy to continue to learn and understand. And I was going to a team that had Jason Smith and CJ Bruton, uh, guys who I'd watched over the past couple of years, guys that I'd love watching play basketball and then I was a chance to become their teammate. Um, Luke Kendall, who was still one of my best mates to this day, who I'd played college basketball with, was at Sydney as well. He uh, actually did the recruiting pitch when he came over to Denver to come visit me and and sold me on Sydney. And, and so that was the first time that I thought Sydney was a better fit for my development at that stage. So there's no anti-Perth sentiment? No, At that stage? No, no, I was, I was fine with that. Um, the second time around came after Sydney folded. Uh, I sat, sat with uh, Andrew Vlahoff and I sat with Jack Bendat at Jack Bendat's house and uh, they put a good offer on the table. Uh, they talked about wanting to win a championship and all that. Um, and then uh, the South Dragons came in offered pretty much the same thing. Uh, and I looked at what I want. There was, if I can remember rightly at this stage, I had asked Hoff 
how he thought that Sean Redditch and I would work and if it would work. And uh, Hoff was definitive that he thought it could work um, and I wasn't so sure that it would. Um, Mika Vakona wasn't at Mika Vakona level at that stage yet, um, but he was growing into becoming a good player and I could see myself and Mika being a better tandem so was it? So are you talking about a combination with with Redditch, or did yep. you feel like you didn't want to be second wheel to Redditch? A combination, second wheel, whatever you want to, however you want to put it. Mm. I I wasn't sure how we would work together. Okay. Whereas I knew Mika and I could work together. Yep. Uh, for what the the way that our styles sort of meshed, um, and I I enjoyed like Mika obviously had a internal hardness that an external hardness that he you knew he would be one guy that he didn't need a shot but he'd play defense he'd rebound and he was a great teammate um I, I wasn't the most selfish player in the world um obviously at sydney i got up quite a few shots at the dragons i got up quite a few shots but scoring was never my main attribute mm. as a basketball player mm. um and i just saw having fun with Mika Vakona at that stage. The real turn in this story is when Rob Beveridge was coaching. Uh, I was coming back from Europe and um, Chris Anstey was gunning after me hard as the coach of Melbourne Tigers. Chris is obviously one of my good mates. He's actually going to be the best man at my wedding coming up. Um, but I was adamant I was coming to Perth at that stage. And... Bevo and I had had some really good chats and uh, we had agreed verbally that I'd be coming in to the Wildcats. And then um, Bevo got fired <laughs> and Trevor Gleeson came in and um, I'd messaged Trevor and said, just left a voicemail, I'm pretty sure, or text. And I just said, mate, Bevo and I had sort of agreed that I'd be coming in. Um, Wanted to see if you're still on on that sort of page because at that stage I was ready to come home to WA and I never heard back from him and I took that as a sign of, well, that's not going to happen. And so, uh, yeah, the one time that I was ready and it was going to happen, it didn't happen. So I guess that's the short answer is in the end, I wanted to come back to Perth and it just wasn't, wasn't meant to be. Does that make you sad that you didn't play for the Perth Wildcats? Is that the right emotion? Is that really, or did it disappointed you, or is it is it part of the career that you would love to have put on and played it in you know in WA? I mean, it's hard to say that I'm disappointed with anything that I did by the end of my career. I think it was a fitting send off in Perth. My last game being you at you loved taking on the Wildcats. You lo- I mean, you actually like there was a lot. There's a lot of venom towards you as a basketball. Oh yeah, no, no, you um, loved that, didn't you? Well, here's a, yeah, yeah, I did actually. <laughs> <laughs> here's a funny story. Uh, I think my dad said it to me really, maybe my first year, second year, the year that I gave Sean a concussion, I gave him an elbow to the head in the game and I got suspended and I'm actually in Perth, but I get suspended while, once I've landed. So I've got to miss the game. So it's game two of a semifinal series and, um, I'm sitting at a friend's house in Perth watching a game at Challenge Stadium, getting the Werthos a wanker chant <laughs> over and over again. And it was loud on TV. And um, So you weren't allowed to go to the game? I wasn't allowed to go to the game. And so I'm, I'm probably 
for my own safety as well. <laughs> I've got I've got stories from Challenge Stadium, I can tell you. Um, but I remember my dad just saying to me, the minute that they stop booing you is the minute you're not doing your job right. And um, I felt like the way that I got an applause on my last game, it was probably the right time for me to retire. Um, but no, there was, there was a fair bit of spite back in the day. I had a fan swing on me at Challenge Stadium. I had a security guard try to fight me. A security guard at Challenge Stadium try to fight me. I seemed to piss off a lot of the uh, West Coast. Why? Players. Why? Why? What? Security guard story. Tell well, me. Well, that was that was, that was uh, one after the other. A fan was hanging over the rails trying to swing on me, and I was sort of goading him a little bit, if I'm being totally honest. And then I turned to the security guard that was right there, and I said, "Is there any chance you're going to do your job today, mate?" And he told me to, you know. Hit, hit the road and um, I might have given him a little bit of a shove on the way past and then uh, he came after me. So the beauty of the NBL back in the day and probably all sports back in the day is a lot of stuff wasn't caught on camera, <laughs> but I can only imagine uh, that similar to what probably the Adam Baines and Adam Ford thing that's just happened in the media and um, mm-hmm. there was a fair bit of that sort of stuff back in the day. So in, in summary of the, the non-Wildcats career. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I ask you, would you have loved to have played for them? Forget about the circumstances. Would you have loved to have finished and looked at the resume and gone, no. I played for the team that basketball is big with? You know, we, we, yeah. If you love sport, WA, it doesn't matter, it's footy, basketball, soccer, cricket, the Wildcats, everyone loves Wildcats. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I can come to the games now and I can appreciate how passionate they are. Um, good, bad, indifferent, they're still passionate about their team and would have been amazing to play at RAC. Yeah, I think it would have been better to play at Challenge Stadium, if I'm totally honest. Like, Challenge Stadium back in the day was just a different beast. That was a cauldron of hellfire and brimstone raining down on you (laughs) if you're on the opposing team. And as you said, multiple times I was uh, probably public enemy number one. For, for the Wildcats fans. And it's quite funny now. Like I I walk amongst the crowd and you still get the mixture of people. Like people are like, hey, were they? How are you? And you still get the people to tell you I should. Uh, <laughs> How does go. Simon Devlin go with you, mate, from Devlin's Cigar Yeah, Lounge. no, me and, me and Simon are great. Um, and it's the funny thing. Did we you always, plenty? Uh, we gave each other plenty back in the day. <laughs> that was the best part about it. For and those who don't know, Simon Devlin sits behind the away bench. He pays for a corporate box. He's a most passionate. He never, and I stand corrected on this, but you'd know because you've been a target, he never oversteps the mark. He knows where the line is drawn. He just targets a player and he gets under their skin. And I would say he's a habitual line jumper. Myself, oh, really? <laughs> myself. Um, <laughs> But once again, it used to be great because he used to go at me and I I liked talking during a game, which was fine. And I think I went to hand him the ball once and as he reached out to grab the ball, I dropped the ball and flipped him the bird. And he loved that. I think that's where our friendship began because he was just like, well, if I'm going to give him that much and he's going to give it back to me, he goes... And he's told me this before. He said, I do it because I know guys start concentrating on me and stop concentrating on basketball. He goes, but you, not only did you beat us on the court, you used to talk to me all the time. You used to give me so much crap. And he goes, that was the most annoying thing of all. So now I don't mind 
meeting up with Devlin. I don't mind having a cigar with him at his cigar bar and yep. um hey street he, yeah he, he is a he's a good man he is a good man uh we're gonna take a break we'll come back and we'll wrap things up just in regards to that olympic journey i just want to get that feel as you talked about a young boy growing up wanting to go to olympic games you went there twice not even what happened on the court just about being a part of that and also where to now because uh, in the ensuing days and weeks ahead uh, you're about to marry a very well-known WA sports star as well. We'll take a break. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Baron O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Mark Worthington. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Tim Gossage on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Mark Worthington, our guest... Five-time, five-club player, of course, in the NBL, championship player, two-time Olympian, Commonwealth Games gold medalist, also named in the Sydney Kings 25th anniversary team in 2013 and Basketball WA Hall of Fame in 2022. And you came out of retirement to play this year in the NBL 1 West competition with the Willetton Tigers and got very close, very close. It was a very tight comp. Yeah, how stupid am I at 40 to do that? Um, but uh, You love it. It actually spawned from Sean Redditch's uh, retirement night. And I was standing next to my old Sydney Kings teammate, Cam Tovey, who was the then uh, president of the Willerton Tigers. And he said, mate, you're still in pretty good nick. Do you want to come down and have a run? I said, don't be stupid, mate. And then uh, I think a month or so had passed and he messaged me again. He said, why don't, why don't you come down for a run, mate? Like, we need an older head. And I was like, thanks for telling me I'm old. Um <laughs> And I uh, went down, had a run, and uh, next thing you know, I was back the following week and did it all again and was enjoying it, just being around team. I think it's the hardest thing as an athlete is you walk away from your sport and businesses and w- whatever you go into, they try to preach this whole team environment, but it's never the same as a sporting environment and a sporting club and to be around a bunch of young guys, to be able to teach them, um, be able to play again, run around. It's a good way to stay in shape, really, when you don't really want to stay in shape. But <laughs> it, it was good fun overall. Um, I want to go back to the Olympics. Two Olympic Games, of course, Athens and also London. Um, Beijing. Beijing, Beijing sorry. Yep. Beijing, London. I want, to, I want you to talk to me about walking out. And you talked about the parade and just being there, being having an Olympic blazer on walking with other uh, Olympians in other sports, seeing superstars of other sports. Just tell us about that. I think it'd be remiss of me not to talk about the Com Games in 2006 first um, because that was, a, well. that was an opportunity to walk out at the MCG in front of your home country uh, wearing the green and gold and filling up 100,000 people at the MCG, walking out and getting that sort of applause, like that will never get replicated again in my life. Um, And only a select few get to actually experience that sort of thing, whether it's an AFL grand final day, even half of the crowd's booing you then or whatever the percentages are these days. But to go out and to get that much applause in that sort of cauldron is Spine tingling. So when you did that opening ceremony, did you walk with your basketball de boomers, basketball teammates, or did you sort of we we were alongside the hurdlers and the and and did you try to sort of mix in with them, or did you try and stay in your group inside the group? Uh, we stayed within our group, and you walked with all the other basketball guys, and um, you know we had Tony Ronson and 
uh, Brad Davidson and Paul Rogers. Like we had a we had a mixture of the younger and the older guys, and it was just a really cool, like unbelievable experience. So that's that's one part. Moved to the Olympics, uh, Beijing. Yeah. They had us in a holding pattern in a stadium with no air conditioning for like three hours beforehand, and we were dying. We were we were dripping with sweat. Everyone was. It was disgusting. <laughs> it was so bad. And by the time we finally got out, um, like my main memory is still the lighting of the cauldron in that event. Uh, London, walking out there, was a much smoother process. Is basically walk outside your village, walk across the road, straight into the stadium. You were there. You were done. It was it was great. But in both times, you can walk around and as you're walking past, you're walking past different countries and you're seeing certain athletes from mm. different sports. And it's one of those moments where you sort of got to sit back and pinch yourself a little bit. And it's the same when you go to the food hall at the Olympic Village. Like you find yourself going, shit, that's such and such. And there's such and such. Who was the, who was the athlete that you just went, wow? Oh, oh. Usain Bolt. Yeah. When as soon as he – and he was he was the – athlete of all the athletes like athletes want to have photos with him and when you're in that sort of setting it was Usain Bolt and whenever the team USA walked in so you got your LeBron James and your Kobe Bryant's and stuff like that they were the main people that the athletes wanted to have photos with obviously for us we're not going to get a photo with LeBron or anything like that um we wanted to beat him um but <laughs> but really cool when I look back on my journey and I talk to my kids now and I'm like, you know, it's cool when they go to sleepovers and they call up at like 10 o'clock at night and be like, you tell them that you played against LeBron James. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's bloody, it's, it's, it's good as a parent. Uh, it's brilliant. Hey, mate, you're about to marry yep. the lovely Dana, of course, who is the West Coast Eagles AFLW superstar and the like. So sport is your world. Yeah, absolutely. No, um, Dana came into my life in an unexpected time and um, she knocked me back first. That's all right. Uh, stayed persistent and... Um, Trevor Gleeson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she not answer your calls? Uh, she answered straight away. It was just a, a solid no to start off with. <laughs> um, but no, we, we met down in Bustleton actually at, a, at an event. Uh, it was a sportsman's breakfast and um, we were both the, the keynote speakers, I guess, so to speak. And... Um, I listened to her and I was like, wow, she's unreal. Um, and the more I listened to her, the more I wanted to take her out on a date and it finally happened. And um, here we go, almost four years later and about to get married at the end of the year. Yeah, so um, what's the big plan? Uh, we, are, we are getting married down in Dunsborough, um, a smallish sort of wedding. Um, and it's going to happen a day before we had our first date. So... Um, all connected and uh, looking forward to to the day and yeah, uh, I can yeah. She's just an amazing woman. You you've been around her before. She's just one of the really good human beings she on this is. earth. And uh, I love how driven and how passionate she is. And I think she enjoys that. I actually I understand the sporting side of things uh, where you know I want her to be so successful and, and get everything out of her sporting career because I was lucky enough to do it for myself and now I want her to have the, the exact same experience and get everything that she wants out of this. So what do you describe you? You're like the, the bag, not the wag, the, the bag. Uh, what, are you, what, are you, what are the blokes called? 
Uh, probably baggage, probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Uh, what do you, what, and just the last one before we let you go, um, and we're speaking with Mark Worthington, inspiring stories thanks to Baron O'Day. Away from sport, what, what takes up your time? Uh, I currently work for Latrobe Financial, um, a good sponsor of the NBL, unfortunately Collingwood Football Club. Uh, I got into finance. Um, Greg O'Neill, who was the CEO and owner of Latrobe Financial um, until recently, he was a board member of the Melbourne Tigers and just was a really good friend, uh, really good supporter of the Boomers team as well, was always around with the Boomers and um, gave them financial support when they needed it the most as well. And um, he uh, offered me a job, and if you would have asked me two and a half years ago, would I do anything in finance, I said, not a chance in hell. And even <laughs> as I spoke with uh, my dad's best friend, who was my old maths teacher last night, he can't believe that I'm doing anything in finance <laughs> either because he thought I was useless at maths back in the day. So I've been reliably informed a male wag is a bar, a boyfriend and husband. Oh. B-A-H. And I, last question. Who wins the who wins the NBL championship this year? You've seen a small taste of it, or a month in? Yeah, uh, I'm really liking the depth of Melbourne United currently. I think they've they've got a, a good chance of winning. That being said, you could put a blanket over Sydney, Melbourne. Well, as uh, we speak, Perth. six teams have won a two and one, and only one team hasn't won a game. Yeah, uh, I think the parity in the league is outstanding at the moment, and the 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 talent is probably at the highest it's ever been. And if you've got to love these next stars. And I, people talk about Saar being a top five pick in the NBA. I think he'll be a top three pick by the end Super of this star, season. Isn't he? Absolutely. So good to watch. Mate, appreciate your time. It's a great journey. And every every time I have a guest to talk about their inspiring sports stories, it goes for one hour. It could go for two hours. And we've only just scratched the surface with yours. You're a, you're a wonderful human being. You're a well-rounded uh, human being. You're an outstanding sportsman and uh, – a couple of good things come out of Bunbury, you, me, and the highway. I appreciate you coming in. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> Mark Worthington, inspiring sports stories. Thanks to Baronado. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.